Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope you're doing well. Today, I'm joined by Gina Perrin, who is a certified health and wellness coach. My friend, how are you today? Welcome to the studio. I'm great. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm super (laughs) excited to have you here. Um, I've been looking forward to having this conversation for a lot of different reasons, but predominantly because I think your journey is just a stellar journey. It's one that I think a lot of people will relate to the hardships and More so, I I think about this idea that each of us have opportunities laid in front of us that in one way or another shape our lives. And sometimes we go down the dark path and sometimes we step into the light. And before we get into all that, so I can understand you a little bit more and the audience, of course, what is one thing that I need to know about Gina to know who you are? I'm passionate about health and wellness. Uh, but I have shifted what I was pursuing with health and wellness was very much just the physical for most of my life. And that has very much shifted to now the emotional and the mental health component that I was missing. So basically, 
the holistic approach to health and wellness, mm. the whole person. Yeah. It's fascinating how often we think that when we look at people who are very physically fit, that there is together. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you find that's actually not true. And the opposite too, when you see people who are really unhealthy and just physically from the outside, you would assume that maybe their mental health is really bad. And sometimes that is true. And so I think that's just kind of the dichotomy of life. And, and we're going to explore and, and dive into how you've gotten in this holistic approach on both sides. Um, tell me about your earliest childhood memory and what are the things that drive you? Okay. Uh, my earliest childhood memory definitely was around uh, the age of seven. So I grew up on a farm. That's very important to know. A farm in the middle of nowhere in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Oldest of four. So all of my siblings were also my friends. That's We only had each other to play outside. And the neighboring farms, we had our cousins that lived uh, near us. So that was great, too. And um, my cousin Tommy was quite a bit older than me, about 14. And I looked up to him. So I thought he was like evil Knievel. I mean, wheelies on his dirt bike, the whole thing. And I just, I wanted to be him. I wanted to be him when I got older. And uh, at the age of 14, when he was 14, he killed himself, uh, shot himself uh, in the head. And it hasn't been determined either, you know, accident or on purpose, but either way he had died. And um, my parents took me to the funeral. So that was a very impact full moment in my life. It was the first time that I've ever seen adults cry. Uh, it was the first time I saw my dad cry. I didn't, I don't know that I fully understood what was going on, uh, but I knew it was very, very big. And that was, uh, that was definitely the first experience that um, is seared into my brain. Like I can, I can smell that, um, the funeral parlor. I can, I can literally smell it. I remember sitting there on my dad's lap. So that would be the first event that really started to shape my life. I don't think most children understand what is happening in that moment. When, when my uncle uh, was drinking and driving and it was New Year's Eve 93 and drove his car off the side of a on-ramp closed casket the whole nine. And so I was a little bit past eight years old. And I remember all of the grownups being sad, you know, and, and that's something I think as a child, you don't understand, you don't process. And in those moments, and like you, it's actually seared in my mind because I remember being like, well, where is he at? Like, why is everyone here? And he's not here and, and so on and so forth. But you know, they, they often say one of the hardest things people go through as family is like losing children, right? When, when you look back at that moment, did you at all understand it? Did anyone explain it to you? Like, and especially under the circumstances or was it, what was that like? They explained it to me. Um, however, when we're in the funeral parlor and sitting up front, I remember my dad taking me up to the front and you got to say goodbye to him. It was an open casket. And um, he literally just looked like he was sleeping, laying there. So I, in a seven-year-old mind, just thought he was sleeping and he was going to wake up and, and come play with me the next day. So it was, that was really hard to understand. I don't think I understood it like at that very moment. 
but you know, as time went on and he didn't come the next day and all that. And the other, uh, and this I remember very, very specifically is there was just a little Band-Aid like on his neck. There was just a tiny little Band-Aid. And other than the Band-Aid, he literally just looked like he was sleeping. So I don't, I definitely don't think I understood what was, what was really happening. I was more fearful of seeing my uncle and my dad crying, mm. like these men in my life that I thought were very, very powerful, strong men. I had never seen them cry um, and certainly not like that. So that was, um, that was impactful for sure. Yeah. I, I would imagine that carries a lot of weight into relationships and family dynamics and like, how do you, and this may be a bit of a strange question, but how did you start to reconcile that? Have you ever, is it one of those things, like even still, does it feel like part of childhood is missing or? Um, well, I can tell you that I definitely didn't reconcile anything for a very, very long time. Mm. I think I just suppressed that. Nobody ever talked about it after that. It was almost like. interesting. It was, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say swept under the rug or anything like that. Not like he was forgotten, but. It, um, there, I don't have any memories of him ever being like really talked about after that. So it kind of like just kind of went away. Did, did that change who you were? I'm absolutely sure that it has for sure. Yeah. I, um, you know, around the age that he was, you know, I'm 14, 15, I just started getting into a lot of trouble. Um, you know, by the time I hit high school, I was just not going to classes and just not doing what I was supposed to do. Started experimenting with drugs, started experimenting with alcohol very young. Um, I can't say for sure that that's what, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, his, that what happened there. Um, but those are like my next memories that happened of just going down like this really, you know, bad path. Yeah. And then uh, you know, going to college, dropping out of college. Just didn't want to go. Um, just had a lot of unresolved things going on and um, got married really young. So that's, you know, coming from a small town, you just, you get married, you have kids, that's what you do. You know, never even question that there'd be anything else to do in life. So um, mm -hmm. luckily stopped doing drugs, stopped drinking, got married, had kids. Uh, shortly thereafter, divorced. I mean, just catastrophe. Uh, as you can imagine, wasn't a great partner, just uh, very uh, selfish. I would definitely say that I was very selfish. Um, really yeah. didn't have a direction of where I was going, what was happening. Yeah, my my thought when, as you were saying that, I was, you know, people who get married young, I feel for them in a lot of ways because I'm like, you don't even know the right questions to ask yet. Zero idea. I had zero idea. I mean, it's funny looking back at it now. I'm like, it's almost cringy. I, I, I believe even look at photos and I, I can't, I look like a baby. Yeah. You know, because um, you probably were. And, and of course, now we yeah. live in a different world where most people aren't getting married till their 30s and 40s at this point. We live in a very different society. But even when I was in my late teens, early 20s, the people around me were getting married. And I was always the outsider. You know, and yeah. I, even today, I'm probably still the outsider <laughs> in a lot of ways um, because like I go and I look at those those experiences of high school and the drugs, the alcohol, the partying, the 
breaking the law in ways that I still don't even really talk about. It was like that felt way more normative to me than whatever was happening in the world for some odd reason. Like I felt this really interesting call. Part of it was survival, right? Like go make money, do whatever it takes. And part of it was there's a thrill in this chaos, mm -hmm. right? There's if you chase chaos and you're used to chaos in your home, your parents, your community, and you see this so often, more per capita, more people do methamphetamines in small towns than they do in big cities. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. There, there's like something I don't, I didn't grow up in a small town nor farm, but y'all have <laughs> nothing to do. Nothing. Right. What, what was it that at such a young age had driven you into drugs and alcohol? It's what everybody was doing around me. It just, I don't even, I, there isn't even a great excuse. There's nothing to do. You know, it's going to the woods and get somebody to get you alcohol, a lot of alcohol and just drink and quarry jump and do stupid, you know, and there was, that's what you did. And, and I literally looking back, um, you know, by 21, I was like, I can't keep doing this, this party in life and college wasn't working out for me. And it's like, I know I'll get married because that'll fix everything. <laughs> that'll get me to That stop. was a cognizant idea that you had? I believe it was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Like maybe I, that I'll just, you know, then I'll stop doing, you know, drugs and drinking and I'll get married and straighten up and everything will be just. It's insane when I say it out loud. When I say it out loud now, today, decades later, it's like, where was the thought process in all of this? Like where, you know. People around me were starting to get married. Again, they get married kind of young. That's just a maybe a small town thing. I don't know. Or even back then. So we're talking 25 years ago. So it was a different time. And you get married and you start having babies. Like, that's just what you do. Did it, did it seem like that was for you a, a way to escape your possible fate based on the path that you were down? 100%. 100%. Just seemed like a better option. That or I was going to kill myself with drugs or who knows? Like, who knows what would happen? It was like, I needed to change something. And I literally had no tools to deal with whatever, whatever I was, you know, suppressing by doing all the drugs and, and alcohol and those kind of things. I had no tools. It, I didn't even know anything about you know, mental awareness or mental health, like back then, none of that. I was just reacting to my life, very reactionary and just, you know, do what everybody else is doing. Um, I, I will say this, there is um, a piece of this that I'd left out. Uh, my dad was a competitive bodybuilder uh, when he was younger. And like, even though we, we lived on this farm in the middle of nowhere and we had a very large gym in our house, so um, from the time I was very, very little, I lived in that gym, just watching my dad, you know, take care of himself physically and, and his bodybuilding friends would come over. And so I, I basically grew up in a gym. So I knew all the like how to physically take care of yourself. So let's take out the, the years that I ingested drugs and everything else. Even while I was doing that, I would still run. I was running races like taking care of myself physically, but then putting bad stuff in my body, right? So I was, 
and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but back to what you were saying, if you would see me just out in public, oh, she's very fit. She must take really good care of herself. You know, she's got it going on mentally and physically when really all I had going on was the physical. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it can be like that, right? There's, there's a beautiful escapism in the drugs and alcohol, mm -hmm. especially when you don't know what's happening. I mean, I, I recall like the, the first time I got high, I was 12 years old and I just remember vividly feeling peace. Yeah. It was the only time I'd ever like, it was like the sun was shining, the sky was blue, the birds were chirping. Yeah. There was nothing in the world that could take away that singular moment of peace until it started to spiral, right? And, yep. and, and you often hear this notion of chasing the dragon. And luckily for me, I, I watched my mother go down this path of prescription drug abuse that destroyed our entire family. And so I kind of quelled a lot of it. But I, I put it into other things, right? Which I think a lot of people do. And to your point, I was just doing what everyone else did. Mm -hmm. It was not outside the norm for us to go and get trashed till two, three in the morning, wake up at six or seven, go to work, crush it at work, and then go home and do it again. And yeah. what I think is really interesting, there, there's some cogent thought for you about this idea, get married, have kids, maybe this becomes the solution. Whereas the only thing I was thinking was, let's go get trashed again. Mm -hmm. And so now you're in your 20s, you're, you're having this moment of change, right? You're stepping into marriage and motherhood. Was, were there moments where you're like, I feel like this was, like this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing? Oh, absolutely. Hey my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Absolutely. Until it wasn't. And, and it wasn't very long. You know, I, uh, we were married maybe five years, you know, and, I, and I'm, I, I was miserable. Again, still they're miserable, like sober, but miserable. Like, you're not making me happy. I'm not happy in this. This isn't really, maybe this isn't for me, you know, but what is still very lost, right? So um, go through a divorce. Again, all my doing, me asking for the divorce, like, you know, he didn't sign up for for that. I still was just not okay. You know what I mean? Um, Where did the not okay come from? I didn't know. I had no idea, like, what I was still missing. Like, there was something just missing. So when... You know, the kids are young. We're still, we're probably about, you know, four years into marriage, four and a half. I'm, I'm still not happy. Now I'm going to start drinking wine again. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to drinking. Now it's social. Now it's with moms. You know, it's, it's okay to, you know, be at mommy class and, you know, girls drinking wine and it's socially like acceptable, whatever. Um, But when I would, when I drink wine and then I go home and I drink a little bit more. You know, it's always just like a little, you know, a little bit more. Um, and it was really starting to affect like how I would feel like just being sadder in my life. I'm, I didn't sign up for this. I, I don't, I didn't want to be where I was and I didn't know why. I was never content in my own skin at all. Just not content. And, um, you know, so I asked for the divorce. That's going to make me happy. Uh-huh. Um, which of course that didn't work. Meet a really nice guy, you know, because, well, you should be married. You have, you have kids. It's just come from a different, different world than, than I'm used to now. Um, meet a guy, very successful, great guy. Okay. He's going to make me happy. And we, we get engaged. I'm, I'm slated to move to New Jersey and move in, you know, move in with him and he's going to take care of me successful enough. I, I won't even have to work. I can be home with 
with, you know, my kids and, and my soon-to-be stepsons, that'll make me happy, right? Mm. And I'm so self-absorbed in my own life, you know, just, and we were the fitness couple. Again, if anybody saw us, we were, you know, fit and just, they have it all together. Um, and there was something in my mind, I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to, I'm going from one, you know, relationship to another. Um, from the outside, it looked great to everybody. And um, it's, it's Christmas now um, to be married, you know, that next summer. And it's Christmas. I'm like 33 years old. And um, I, I have a question for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I know where you're going, but yeah. I have a question for you before we go there. Please. I think often people are seeking validation externally mm -hmm. from everywhere except the mirror. And I, I know this from my own experience. All of the hookups, all of the, the random nights, all of the drugs and alcohol, all of the, I will do anything for you to like me for seven seconds, right? All the sacrificing of your own morals, integrity, character, values, boundaries to have that thing, right? We seek that. Do you feel if you like reflect on that? Cause there are people I know right now who are in this moment, maybe not particularly the same, but close where they're seeking that thing. Was there ever a moment for you where you were like, I need to fill myself up first? Or did it just feel so? Because to me, it, the reason I'm asking this question is it never, ever dawned on me. If you go look at my life from basically 15 to 25 this decade, not once did it dawn on me that I needed to love myself first. And I'm curious if you ever had any inkling of that kind of thought? Great question. At this point, that's what I'm starting to feel. Before that, even through my divorce, never even thought of that. Never thought of that at all. Um, from the moment I got engaged, I had doubts and I knew this isn't the right thing. Mm. That would... And I knew, and I said, yes, anyway. And I've got this big ring on my finger. He was very successful. And from the outside, I'm getting all the accolades, all the, you know, what, what you want that, you know, chasing that, you know, look at me. Every, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Remember, I'm not, you know, I'm not that druggy teenager anymore that, you know, people still want to bring that up, you know, whatever. Um, but, but this time, because now I'm like 30, you know, early 30s. For some reason, it's starting to dawn on me now. And I'm like, I'm going to go from one marriage to another. And I don't even like myself. So I don't know what's going to change there. But I, before that, it wasn't even a thought. And I, I, started, I, mean, I started praying. On, I remember praying on it. Like, what do I do? I'll, be, I'll disappoint my parents again. Mm. You know, I'll disappoint my friend. What do I tell people? What do, what do I tell people? I was so worried about telling everyone else, like, hey, I don't know that I really want to marry this person. He, he was great. It was me that was, that was struggling. 
And before I could even find out what would happen with that scenario, if I would have even had the courage to call it off or do any of that, um, tragedy uh, struck it at Christmas and my brother took his own life. Mm. So, and that, but leading up to his death, I knew I was going to be going in just to the same situation. And I was still like this empty hole inside. There was just an empty, like some, you know, and, um, but cared so much what everybody else thought of me. We often do. We often do until we don't. Yeah. And, and I say this often, I don't care what people think about me unless you're in my circle. And even then, I'm very hesitant to decide whether or not I'm going to bring that energy in because the one thing I've discovered is everyone has an idea about what your life should be. Mm-hmm. And there is one of the things that I teach my clients often, and, and really everyone, if you've ever listened to this podcast before, is like you can turn triumph, tragedy into triumph and breakdowns into breakthroughs. Here's the hard part about that. Tragedy and trauma and breakdowns have to happen. I don't know. And I've asked everyone that I've probably ever interviewed on this show about that moment. And it's like, everyone is like, yeah, you have to have it. It sucks. It's unfortunate. It's unfair. It's not the thing that you want, but it's the thing you need. And sometimes it's the thing you need by proxy. You know, I look at my breakdown when I'm 25 heading into 26. Thank God one of my little brothers said, never talk to me again. You're not my brother. Without that moment, I probably wouldn't be here. Finding out that my three childhood best friends have been murdered. Like without that, I probably wouldn't be here. Crippling debt and borrowing money from my girlfriend who lived with me to pay the rent. It's like without that, I probably wouldn't be here. And and I, I wish that it weren't so many, but that tends to be the case for some of us. And, and obviously with an impact in your life on, on a Christmas, that was the case. Yeah. What was your relationship like with David? Uh, it was, it was great. He was, um, he was such a kind person. I, I was the oldest, like I said, on this farm and then was David. And then we have identical twin sisters. So it was always teams. It was David and I against the twins, right? Because the twins have their own, they were their own team. So he was my, he was my team member. And um, so, you know, definitely lost my team member. My sisters have each other. And, um, but he was very sad and I was so self-absorbed in my own life that I didn't notice how sad he was. You know, I didn't take that time to um, really check in on him and see how he was doing in a real way. I um, I would drop off my daughter uh, once a week at his house because he would uh, tutor her. And, you know, drop off, hey, how you doing, and, and leave. Again, just very self-absorbed and not like, how are you doing? What's going on? We just kind of, you know, get together for holidays and texts on birthdays and he lived 20 minutes from me he lived so close and it's like I didn't I didn't catch the signs I didn't I didn't see him I didn't see him coming uh until it was too late of course um and and not not to say that I could have changed that I don't beat myself up 
as to whether or not I could have changed the the outcome. Um, but I I was living a very, very selfish life. No plan, no direction, just okay, I'll get married again and and that'll that'll be all good and that'll fix it and just un really unaware of what was going on around me. Um so that that morning, um, my dad and I found him. He had this was Christmas. Christmas morning, yeah. He didn't show up to Christmas Eve again. So Christmas Eve is a big, uh, big event at my parents' house every year. And for me, it was like this year. It was 2010. Was it was even bigger because I'm bringing my new fiance and and soon to be stepsons to. Christmas Eve. So it's the first time I'm bringing them there. So I'm just focused on, you know, me and look at, you know, this is going to be my new family. And I mean, it was like halfway through the night or the night was more than halfway through the night. The night was almost over before I realized that like he wasn't even there. Mm. He hadn't showed up. And I, I look at my dad and it's like, Where, where's David? You know, he's like, I don't know. You know, but they had tried to call him, but he didn't come. So even at that point, I was just, you know, very into whatever is going on in my world. And uh, the next morning, after the kids open their gifts, you know, take them to be with their dad. And I text David, Merry Christmas, and no response. So that's when I knew. I knew right away that something was really wrong. But not until it was definitely too late. Um, so I decided to drive to his house, and my dad met me there. Because they had been trying to call him as well and no response. And that was, again, so how many years between seven years old to now 33, open casket, see my brother laying there, band-aid under his chin. Same thing. Almost identical. You know, um... And that was uh, that was obviously a major thing that happened with our family. Um, within six, six months, I called off the engagement. It was kind of my out, um, which was better better for all parties involved, certainly. And um, and I just that was the start of going right down that same bad path, repeating the same pattern from back 14, 15 years old. It literally just repeated itself. It started all over. So I'll move across the country. That'll fix everything. Let me move away from, you know, all the sadness. Took a couple years to actually, you know, um, get enough courage to just start over and move out here, but still unresolved in in everything that had happened from back childhood. So I could have moved to Australia, and the same thing was going to happen if it didn't if I didn't actively go to fix it. And um, so the breakdown, Michael, to your point, it was slow, 
meaning um, it just progressively got worse. But it's like the frog in the water that the water's warming up and you don't realize it's going to come to a boil until it comes to a boil. And um, it took a few years after his death, more than a few years, a few years um, after I moved to L.A., for it to come to a boil. Yeah. It does that. Yeah. Uh, I often think of the the old proverb, wherever you go, there you are. There you are. <laughs> and, and you cannot escape yourself. Nope. And the the things that we do that are often just these normative, autonomic, biological responses for creating safety in our life are the very things that destroy our lives. Mm -hmm. The drugs, the alcohol, the hooking up, the debt, the whatever it might be, we chase those things so that in those things, at least we feel better than when we're not in them. You know, and, and you come to find on a long enough timeline and you see this all the time in, in people who are addicts in some capacity. It's like they would much rather be in the destruction of that than the discomfort of their reality. I witnessed that in my mother, my grandmother, family members, myself even, especially in my 20s. But there's, there's so many lessons to be learned in that. If you're like willing to honestly be real with yourself and look at your life and going, this is my fault. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so difficult about it because the, the circumstances in which often lead to that moment may not actually be on you, right? They're, they're death and loss and maybe debt or losing a job, a breakup even. But it's like every single time you make that decision to do that thing, even though it's in your head and you're like, dude, stop doing this, <laughs> right? And you yeah. do it and you're like, tomorrow I'll stop. It's like, we are None of us are free of, of the addiction of the opposite of what we feel mm -hmm. in reality. And so we chase it. And I want to go in, I want to talk about this boiling with you because I think it's really important. But before we do that, there's a question I was thinking about leading up to this that I really, really wanted to ask you. What did you learn from David? Oh, so much in retrospect. Um, he, he always paused. Let me explain. He actively listened to you when you, he would, when you would talk. And no matter what was going on around him, when something bad would happen within the family or whatever was going on, he'd take a pause. He'd digest it before any reaction. And it was usually very calm, uh, where I was very reactionary just to my to my life and just causing more chaos. I would cause more chaos. It was like I wasn't comfortable unless I was causing more chaos. It's like, you know, whatever it was that was happening, I'd make it even worse. And it was like I was good with that, where he was very good at staying out of the chaos and 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 kind of taking a step back that is the biggest thing that i learned from but i didn't learn that until much later after his death and i was like oh he was you know just a much calmer person um now clearly i don't know what was going on up in his up in his mind um 
But just to sit and be with him was a very calming presence where um, I was more like, what's the next big drama that I can either cause or make worse of whatever is going on around me? It's like I wasn't comfortable just being me. So I, I can honestly say that is the best thing I've ever You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com learn from him mm. and just wish he would be around right now for, <laughs> for him to experience the other the other different side of me yeah yeah we never understand why people do these things yeah. and you can't and and we can drag ourselves through glass trying to understand it and and for me in some capacity i do i mean i've obviously shared publicly my own battles with suicide attempts and ideations and plans right and even now I look back at it, I'm like, I don't know why. I just knew that I was in pain and everything except this existence felt easier. Yeah, and he, this was a man who, we, and we used to work out together. So my brother and I were the two that really caught the fitness bug from my dad. So we were, we were always in the gym together. Um, this man wouldn't eat a French fry. He was like this, I, I'm serious, he was, he was so disciplined, so disciplined, physically just, you look at him and go, wow, I mean, dedication to his, and, and took such good care of his body, and mentally was obviously suffering, right? Where you looked at me and it was kind of the same thing physically, but mine came out in a different way, you know? started you know drinking again and i was always looking for another outlet or somebody else to make me happy 
some other source to make me happy or some location will make me happier or buying this new car will make me happier. And it was always just chasing that, you know, it never satisfied, of course, because that's an endless pit. Um, but he must have had, you know, just a different way of dealing with whatever demons he was dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've just come to discover we can't try to understand it no matter how much we want to, because it'll, no. in our heads, we think that it will create closure. Yeah. It'll make us feel better. It'll may even for some of us who feel shame around not being there enough, give us permission to let go, but you're never going to know, right? No. We can never understand. If if you could say one thing, assuming that somehow through the grace of the magic of the universe that we live in and David could hear it, what would you say to him? I would say I'm sorry. Um, oh, that's going to, that's going to choke me up. Yeah, I would say I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. Sorry was um, um, a selfish, selfish sister back then. And, um. Yeah, I wish I would have been, uh, would have been there for him in a different way. Yeah. I resonate with that. Yeah. You know, I, I feel that unfortunately we are all <laughs> selfish. <laughs> yeah. It is just the nature of the human experience. But obviously you've had to find that that is not serving. Like it's not going to be the thing that takes you to who or where you want to be in your life. And you made a decision to go to L.A. And L.A., just despite whatever might have been in your head, initially, initially was not salvation. What was L.A.? You know, I had friends here and and in this ended up being you know, so crazy. But my, my daughter's married now and, and doesn't even live in the state. And I'm still here because I've made family here. And I feel like. L.A. for me um, was where I had to have that breakdown and breakthrough. I met people here or in L.A. that I wouldn't have met staying in my small town. Um, who knows, I would have gotten married and lived in New Jersey and life would have went in a different path. But I, I really feel that I was meant to be here. Um, from the company that I worked for, when I walked in there, they immediately became family. Um, it, it took a, it took a long time, but it's like, I feel like I was positioned there. Like, this is where you're going to end up healing. But I didn't know that initially. I didn't know that, that this is where, um, your life really is going to change. So initially I was on that, still on that downward spiral, um, doing everything I had done before, just in a new location. And, um, Started teaching in local gyms and, again, the physical fitness because it was the only thing I knew how to fix. But mentally, I was just going straight, straight down. And I would spend many, many nights um, over drinking by myself in my apartment um, until I got to a point where I understood how David maybe got to the conclusion that he did. I can't say that I know exactly what, of course, what was going through his mind, but I could see that if I were in his mind in, in 
the position that he was in, it would have felt like the right thing to do. And I, I started to scare myself. You know, it was, I was going down a really, really dark path, worse than I had ever been before. So it had slowly gotten worse, that, that slow boil, where I was like, something needs to change. What was the moment where you realized that? I would, I would love to tell you that there was like some magical moment that something happened to me and everything changed around, but there wasn't. For me, there was, I, I read these like amazing stories about people and it's like, you know, I got struck by lightning and everything changed. It didn't happen like that for me. For me, it was, um, you know, an opportunity opened up where a gym poached me out of another gym and, and then put me in front of new people. One ended up becoming my mentor. All of a sudden, people started to come into my life where I wanted to be like them and things started to happen. I said, how about you read this book or you read this book or you listen to this podcast? Um, so I'm, I'm starting to change some of my behaviors just from all those things that are going on. Um, so for me, it was, it was more of like a slow, a slow change, a slow change. I think most of the changes that are the most impactful are like adding up every single one of the straw on the back of the camel. Yep. And then you're like, something changes now or, or it never changes ever. Yeah. And, and that's where I, when I was, when I was 26, that's what it was. I was just like, I don't know. And even here's, what's interesting too. Even now I think that holds true. It's just faster right? The, yep. the looking at life, the dissecting it and going, this is not the thing that I'm supposed to have be whatever change, do something different right now. I, um, I had this amazing, amazing therapist, um, when I was in my early thirties, he said something to me that radically shifted my life because I, you talk about accountability, about responsibility, mm -hmm. about trying to, you know, take control over your own life. And and I never did that. I blamed everyone all the time, constantly. Same. It literally could not be. It was impossible that it could ever be my fault. Yep. I don't care what. I could crash my car through a house and it would be like, you shouldn't put your house there. 100%. I don't know why your house is there. This has nothing to do. And yep. it was like, that was my life. And I'm sitting here with this therapist and, and he helped me understand why, right? So much of that was about survival. So much mm -hmm. of that was about watching how my mother operated in the world and her lack of responsibility. And, and so you start to connect these dots. And he says to me, you know, change only happens when you make change happen. And for whatever, that was singularly one of the biggest light bulbs in my life because I finally understood like, wait a second, I can do something different. Because here's what's interesting about your story. You, you move to LA, you're going through your, you're at the 5 a.m. workouts, the 6 a.m. workouts to pushing yourself, getting in shape, losing weight, like all that. Yep. And yet going home at night and it's like back in the darkness. You know, it's mm -hmm. funny when you walk through your front door, how dark it can be. Huh. Extremely. And that's, that's exactly what. So um, I moved to L.A. and, and I, that's when I started over drinking, overeating. Now I like gain a bunch of weight. I'd never been overweight in my life, right? I'm always like this 
super healthy person. And I'm starting to spiral down to the point where I start to, I, I get a little scared. I'm like, what is happening to me? Like, I don't recognize myself in the mirror. What, what were you scared of? Um, I was seeing the progression of the downward spiral. I'm going, I took a look back like, this is what I was five years ago. And look at me now. I'm starting and and it was seeing some photos, to be honest. Like to, I'm, I'm seeing the photos and I'm like, what has happened to me? Like I'm starting to, and, and I, I just felt terrible mentally. And Michael, for me, everything was always like physical. It was the only thing I knew how to fix. So I get so disgusted one day from seeing a photo and I'm like, that's it. I'm changing my life. I walked into the local gym and I got myself back into shape. And when I say this, for people out there struggling to lose weight, for me, and I'm so sorry I'm going to say this, but for me, physically, losing weight and getting back into shape, that was easy because that was the only thing I knew how to do. And that comes from, you know, I mean, fitness from childhood, <laughs> you know. So that was the only thing I knew how to do, but I could not clean up my mental fitness. I couldn't clean it. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't, and it became blaringly obvious now at that point, okay, I'm listening to, I stopped listening to the radio. That was the first major thing that I did. I, I'm in sales. I was a sales rep. So I'm constantly driving in the car. I'm like, what do I do every single day? Listen to the same radio stations, music. Okay. Instead of that, I don't know. I'd read somewhere, listen to audiobooks instead and learn something while you're in the car. So that was one of the biggest changes I started there. And, and hearing about, you know, excusitis, case of the excusitis, I believe, I don't know, Brian Tracy or somebody was that. And I say, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm sitting in the car for all these hours going, that's me. And I was the common denominator in all of this, like in, in everything. And I start listening to what they're saying. Michael, I was literally your twin on that. I couldn't do no wrong. It was everybody else's fault, my ex-husband's fault, parents' fault, whatever it was. I had zero accountability in my life, zero, um, and expected everybody else to make me happy. So I start with the, I start with the uh, audiobooks, and you know, and by no, by no one's fault, um, but I think I grew up in a. In my parents are a little bit old school. Um, you just don't reach out for help. You don't go talk to therapists. That's maybe like a, a big no-no. You know, so um, they don't really help. Or at least that was my idea of, of therapy. That it was a waste of time and, and nobody could really help you. And I, and I thought, well, maybe, that, maybe that's wrong, my idea of that. So then I... I reach out and find therapists. Now, I have to tell you, I will. I went through a couple of therapists till I find find somebody that really is my fit. So, because uh, I didn't want to give up on myself, I was like, I didn't want to give up on myself. And, uh, 
So I find I start talking to somebody and then um and then I just kind of went all in. Why am I the way that I am? Why am I this major people pleaser? How can I be so um, you know, on top of my game, like working these crazy hours, doing well at work, and then walk through that door and falling apart? What is going on? Like I wanted to know like all those things that were happening with me. Because I could not wake up another time, like passed out on my couch. Nothing was changing. I was going to kill myself through drinking or some other stupid way. You know, not not on purpose, but I was basically killing myself. Um, so it started off small, but then it started to snowball. Yeah. It really started to snowball. That's how it always does. Yeah. Like it starts off a little brush fire and then you're burning yep. down the rainforest i was burning it i mean down to uh i ended up years ago now but i uh canceled cable because i would watch the news first thing when i get up mm -hmm. grab the phone watch the news taking in everybody else and taking in negative negative things and the negative talk so i i really had to change every little every little aspect but it took it did take time it took time. And that's the thing people don't understand. It's like, you're, you're never going to listen to one podcast. You're never going to read one book. You're never, I mean, and, and more so you should probably re-listen or reread a lot of this again and again and again until it like sinks into your brain. Yep. Like when I, when I wrote my first book a few years ago, as soon as you start, it says you're going to need to read this again, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a one-time deal. And, and I don't think anything is because our habitually our brains want to go back to comfort the second we find discomfort. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting about discomfort, it could be not being codependent. It could be having accountability. It could be saying no to the extra hours of work and the date you probably shouldn't be on anyway because that person has bad energy and you can feel it and, mm -hmm. and all of the things. And so the escapism... Once you can control that, like, I really think that's where healing begins. And, and it's not that there aren't moments where you fall back because we all do assuredly, I can promise you I'm going to up 100%. But if I can lengthen the space in which those occur, like that to me is where the win is. Cause it's in the middles, right? It's in the, it's not at the finish line. Nobody, nobody really wins a marathon by crossing the finish line. They, they win the marathon by running the marathon, yeah. right? And I think people forget that, especially in mental health and in this journey, this is a rest of your life game. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't ever wake up every single morning. I'm like, yay, life. Most mornings <laughs> I wake up and I'm like, man, all right, let's go. Yeah. What do we have to do today? Yeah. You, you mentioned something like you, you joined that gym or you started working there and you, you had your first mentor. Yeah. Who was this? Oh, so, um. This is very interesting. So the woman that hired me at Equinox ends up going back to school um, in positive psychology, uh, health and wellness. And so I reach out. I'm like, what is positive psychology with health and wellness? Like, I don't even I don't even know what that is. Uh, her name is Patricia, and she now lives in Switzerland. Uh, so she got transferred out there. But um, she's the one who really encouraged me. She started telling me all about it. And I went back to school in the same place that she did. 
Um, and so she kind of turned, started that ball rolling of, but then my therapist is really who started getting into the actual work of like, you know, what is the stuff in the past that I carry with me and what, how has that shaped me into my reactions and my behaviors and, and all of that? I didn't know any of those things, but Patricia really started the ball rolling of like, oh, I can help myself and then I can also help people in a different way to get fit as opposed to just going in and teaching a class. It got me, she got me more involved in like the emotional and the mental fitness. And so I give her all the credit. What, what part of this self-discovery was most life-changing for you? Like what was the moment like you're in either therapy or you're sitting with Patricia and you're like, oh, yeah. I get it now. Like, did you have one of the, I have like probably like seven. I was going to say, I have a few of those. So I don't know which one did which, you say. Which one do which you one think do was. Which one do you want? Um, a couple things. Uh, did you ever read the book? It didn't start with you. No. Okay. Um, I do recommend that. But, <laughs> um, but there are certain like genes that will get marks on them and they're actually passed down. So some behaviors that could come out in me maybe really came from my grandmother or came from past traumas that could be, you know, a couple uh, generations back, maybe not even like for it's, that's kind of mind blowing. Um, the other thing for me, I, this, this one just blew my mind. It's like, do not believe everything your brain tells you. Mm. I literally would believe everything that I think. Everything that I think, I didn't even question it. And it's like, where did that come from? Where did that thought initially come from? I would just believe, and again, very reactionary to my life. I would just react to everything. So for example, if like, if you write down like five things that you tell yourself all the time, you're, you're telling yourself things every single day, thousands of things, right? But if you are really, if you really think about your thoughts, and jot them down, even for like a week, there's like top five that you repeat over and over again. You know, either I'm fat or I'm ugly or I'm not good enough, whatever that is. And kind of trace back, like, where did you first hear that? Like, where did that first come from? Did it come from a parent? Like a parent? Did it come from, you know, Susie, your classmate in middle school? Where those thoughts, my thoughts, like, I believed them a hundred percent. Every thought it's a that fool's was fool's errand. Fool's errand. I mean, every thought. And so now I'm very, 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 very aware of like the thoughts that I have, and 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 I'll tend to go negative first, which I guess most of us do. But I was every thought in my mind was negative, mm. which is always negative. You give me good news, and my brain would go to. Well, yeah, but what if this happens? Well, what do you mean? What if this, you know, but this, this isn't what's happening. Something good is happening. Um, that you can change your brain chemistry, that you can, you know, start living in gratitude and changing the way that you're, you're, it takes work. I wanted somebody to give me a magic pill. I wanted a therapist to like fix me in, in a week. I wanted to be whoever this was on social media that I thought was like super happy, happy and living their best life. Like, I'm like, I want that life. But back to your point about the marathon, like you don't see all the middle and all the work that they do in between it. 
like all the work that it takes to to change your life if you if you are in a bad spot if you're if mentally physically it takes a ton of work and that work is what I wasn't seeing I just thought it something's going to change me magically yeah or someone was going to change me magically yeah and so much of the work too is exponential and you don't understand that every single day like here's what I think about it's not that it takes you 10 years to change your life it's that it takes you all of the efforts of the 10 years yes. to change your life. And, and that's what I figured out one day where I was just like, wait a sec. I was standing in my kitchen and I, I was just, I had that same sense of peace that I had when I was 12 years old, when I was high, except I was completely sober. That's there awesome. were no women, there were no drugs, there was no alcohol, there was no debt, there was no, I need to drive 200 miles on the highway just so I feel alive for five seconds. It was just like I was in the kitchen and the window was open. I could hear the birds chirping. I was having coffee and I was like, this is the thing. But it took at that point, that was probably like seven years of work, constant yeah. work, constant showing up, constant action, constant consumption of all of the things, trying to learn and navigate who it is that I am. One of the things that came of that is my ability to help people. Right. And, and I never intended this, this, I, I say it all the time. I've no, no chance <laughs> in hell I was doing this job. If you asked me this 10 years ago and, and now you're in a position where you're also helping people Yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So back to like where I said about how I lived my life before it was a, a life that was very, very selfish. It was all about how Gina can get ahead, whatever Gina can do to Take care of Gina, all of, all of that. And I've shifted now into more of a life of service. Like, how can I give back to, to anyone who's looking to better themselves physically? Of course, I can do that just from, um, you know, from a coaching perspective. But how, how can we put it all together? How can I help people make that connection of the people that helped me make the connection where Gina, you're never going to be fit if it's just physical and, and you don't have those other aspects. So now when I work with clients, it's not just, hey, eat this and exercise this and you know, that'll that'll take off the weight. But there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, making sure that mentally they're okay. A lot of writing, reading, learning. I mean, it's constant you know, to bring all those, to bring everything together. Uh, it just took me in a completely different direction that I never thought that I would go in. I thought, you know, I don't know what I thought. I really didn't have a plan for my life. It was just get up and do the, I was on a rinse and repeat cycle of no planning. And now it's like, got one-year goals, five-year goals, 10-year goals. But all those, it's all those little things every day that add up. So when you were talking about how it all came together and it took like seven years, that's the compound effect. Mm. That's the compound effect. We, we live in a world of instant gratification. And somebody could come to me and they're like, I want to lose 10 pounds and it's got to be in three weeks. I'm like, how long did it take you to put on 10 pounds? How long did it take me to end up on the floor of my apartment Passed out, wondering how the hell did I get here again? 
it took a long time. It took decades. So it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to fix itself in a couple of weeks. It's not going to just be fixed automatically. Um, but it's all those little things you do in between. It's that compound over time. Listen to the audiobooks in the car instead of listening to the radio. Um, uh, getting up and, and writing in the morning or night. I have switched when I do some journaling, but actively practicing gratitude, actively, you know, reaching out to people that are where you think you want to be and ask them, what did they do to get there? They didn't just wake up and, and be that person in, in one day. Um, so my goal is to literally just live in a life of service as opposed to, again, just living in the world of Gina. Yeah. You know, and here's what's interesting is I'm sure the world of Gina is great, <laughs> right? Because then, then, then you, you aren't bothered by the realities of your decisions. Yeah. The world of Michael was awesome, right? Yeah. If you like being in misery and yeah. being tortured and walking down the gates of hell and yeah. walk in crossing the river sticks on a daily basis. That's mm -hmm. a great world to be in. It's it's shocking to me how different your life becomes when when you sit and realize the truth that you're selfish. Yeah. And you look, and there's a space, because look, you do also have to be selfish, right? Especially when it comes to your time, your effort, your energy, uh, the this whole thing around being of service. Like, I can't help you if I don't help me first. And I'm not going to sacrifice me for you. And and you know, when you look at lifeguard training. They teach you if someone is in chaos and sprawling out of control and going under in the water, yeah. you say, hey, you need to calm down. And if they don't, you kick them away because yeah. both of you cannot drown. And, and that's what being selfish is. It's like you're drowning constantly. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing it with conscientiousness and the care for self, I mean, that, that's where you thrive. And I'm never afraid to say no anymore. Right. And I'm not codependent and I'm not in this position where I'm like, I must always do all these things for everyone else. Yes. And that's the lesson that I hope people will learn for themselves is like, go be of service. Stop being a selfish because you are right. And I know that's hard and you don't want to hear it. And the first things out of your mouth is I bend over backwards for people. I'm like, okay, cool. That's awesome. At, you're great at being codependent. Right. Right. You're really, really good at that. So how do you actually become really, really great at being of service yeah. and starting with yourself? If somebody, you know, has listened and they're feeling like they relate to a lot of this and they're hearing this story and obviously everyone's journey is different, but mm -hmm. there's something they resonate with and they're like, I want something different. I've tried the marriage. I've tried the kids. I tried the working out all the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe I tried the opposite. I tried being alone and blah, blah. Like, where do they start? Like, like what, what was like the most pivotal tool that you used in your life that you think people can use if they want to start? Um, never give up on trying what works for you. So there is a, there are so many avenues they could go down. Start, start with books. Start with books. If you're comfortable with that, start with podcasts. Um, if you're not comfortable going to talk to somebody professionally uh, or, or you are and you're hesitant about it, go seek someone out. If that, if that person doesn't work out, there's 
thousands of other therapists find somebody else. Keep trying anything that will start. You will, you will know. You will be attracted to what resonates with you. You will, you will feel like you're at home when something starts to make sense to you. I mean, a great example is um, a girlfriend and I, you know, she drags me to, a, to, to hot yoga and, and said, you know, this is the way that you're, you're really going to feel like centered and you're going to feel amazing and it's going to make you feel better. I didn't feel any of that. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to run. Um, yeah, yeah. It caused me more anxiety than anything, right? That worked for her. Okay. Um, start anywhere and, and throw everything at the wall until something sticks for you and you'll find your routine. You know, just because somebody says, get up and meditate every morning, you may hate that and it's not going to work, but try it. You won't know until you try it. You know, once you start going down the path of, of listening to People that are where you would like to be, you are going to get something from everyone. I, I've gotten something from everyone that I've listened to or, and doors will just start to open that you didn't even know were there before. But don't give up. Actively, actively pursue your happiness. Yeah. Or change. Yeah. yeah change. And know that. Like, honestly, the journey is going to suck a lot longer than you think it's going to suck. And then it's going to suck less. And then one day you're, you're having that moment where instead of being on the floor, waking mm -hmm. up again, being like, how the f did I get here? You're, you're sitting in something beautiful. And know that it is, it's not, it's, there's no end point. There's, there's no end point. The journey continues, you know, it, it will it will always continue where you're going to learn more and you're going to learn more about yourself and you're going to find new tools along the way. Um, I have to actively pay attention to the thoughts that I have in my mind and know, okay, you know, you're lying to me sometimes, you know, if it's lying to me or um, going inward to know about yourself is it, it can be scary, but it's so rewarding. Yeah. It's very rewarding. Yeah. But what scary thing isn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, if we're, we're constantly used to the normality of the chaos of our life, yeah. the scariest thing is peace, harmony, love, forgiveness, compassion, connection, community, family, yeah. being out of debt, being in shape, getting off of prescriptions you don't need, right? The, the, the fear of the unknown often keeps us crippled but it's also the very thing you should be moving towards every single day. Before I ask you my last question, yeah. uh, tell everyone where they can find you, learn more about you and seek your guidance if they find it necessary. Great. You can find me on all of the social media platforms, Gina Perrin, just my full name, or you can head to my website, ginaperrin.com. And um, yeah, I'd like to see them there. Yeah, and of course, we'll put all the links in the show notes. Go to thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. Look up Gina Perrin. You can search right there at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. We'll have all of her links and more, including the full transcript of this episode. My friend, my last question for you. Okay. What does it mean to you to be unbroken? Making peace with your past and actively participating in finding your happiness. Mm, beautifully said.
Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. Make sure you share this episode if you found it to be impactful because every time you do, you're stepping us closer and further to ending generational trauma. Remember, when you do that, you can help someone else transform their trauma into triumph, their breakdowns to breakthroughs, and help them become the hero of their own story. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review, and you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends, and until next time, be unbroken. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.